Thank you, worship team. Good morning. You guys all right if I turn on a, uh, a timer to keep me, to keep me uh, on track? Is that all right? You guys all right with that? Pam, you're going to be okay with that? Is that all right? Probably a good thing. Cool. Hey, my name is David. I love being one of the pastors around here. We are doing something for our community today at 3.30 to 5. Any guesses on what that might be? You at home, any guesses on what that might be? Triple Treat, thank you, is happening today at 3.30. And we love doing something for our community. And so if you guys are at home, we would love you to participate in that. For us here, we are looking forward to either participating or serving in that. And, uh, and something that we have done historically, I think, for the past 30 years of the existence of our community, this will be the first year. It's going to look uh, slightly different. Significantly different is what it's going to look like. So looking forward to us continuing to be invested in our community. And... Um, and as I look around, you guys are all wearing masks. And I don't know if this has been true for you, but as, I, as I've walked and encountered and been different places, um, I'm just getting this increasing sense uh, of the person behind those masks. So we're not asking you to literally take off those masks, but three weeks after Triple Treat, we want to do a three-week series of just unpacking what's behind the mask. And Henry Nowen, a guy that I love, uh, had three ideas that he said were kind of these big lies that we're confronted by. That we are what we do, we are what we have, or we are what people say about us. And so we want to do a three-week series after Triple Treat that I think pairs really nicely with First Peter, pressing into our identity and confronting those three lies of what often is behind that mask. And then my deep encouragement, if this isn't true of your life yet, December 6th, uh, we have a few baptisms planned, and, and we believe in life with Jesus around here. And so if, if it's something that you've never publicly proclaimed, if you've never publicly said this Jesus guy is who he said he is, and you've done that through the public declaration of baptism, I would encourage you. December 6th, email the office, office at HBC Life, and we would love to celebrate that act collectively of being baptized, believing that Jesus uh, was God incarnate, that he did die for the sins of the world, and that he rose again on the third day, and by faith in him, we have eternal life. And baptism then becomes a public declaration of that. Uh, inward experience. And so December 6th, if that hasn't happened in your life, we would love that. Otherwise, come and celebrate the few baptisms that we will have here. And, and I can't say this enough because sometimes, if you're anything like me, I get caught up in the day-to-day grind and, I, and I'm sometimes uh, <laughs> forgetting the reality of of why we're here, that we believe we are a people helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time. And that life isn't just a one-time decision. That life is an ongoing journey. And and yet, and yet, and and I don't know where you all are coming from this morning. I I don't know where you're coming from as you watch us from your home. But it feels like 
I was struck this past week by conversations of, of, this, of this idea of relevance. That I had a few conversations of, <laughs> of, of the relevance of our Sunday morning gathering. And, and, and why we do what we do on Sundays. And, and we have five values that we try and embody every single Sunday morning. That we want to be biblically saturated. We anchor our lives in a text every single Sunday. And that we believe there is a flow to the Sunday morning service. As Rick welcomes us into worship, there's a flow. Uh, and there is a connection to a big C church. There is a connection to a historical and global church that we aren't alone in this spiritual journey. And that we want to be creative in these elements. And there's a fifth value we try and embed. It's the idea of relevance. And, and, and when we hear the word relevant... Here's what you could hear, that, that this stuff needs to make me feel a certain way in order for it to be relevant, that I need to feel a certain thing about what happens here in order for it to truly be relevant. I think that's one way you could define relevance. I think the second way is that regardless of the way I feel, we want to tell truths that are deeply relevant regardless of how you feel, believing the God of the universe might speak into your heart and stir those realities for their relevance. Hear me say we often guide our Sundays more by the second than the first. And hear me say I think God still uses us as a part of it. But we want to be deeply relevant in the ideas that are communicated. Because I, I don't know what's burning on your heart this week. You know there's election coming up, right? I don't know what idea is burning on your heart, whether it could be the idea of immigration is deeply saturating your thinking, whether, whether Proud Boys or Antifa is the thing that fires you up, whether it's abortion that is the top of mind and you can't go to sleep without thinking about the deep needs of that. White supremacy or racism that pervades our culture. You might be thinking, man, that, that's, what, that's near and dear to my heart. What does Sunday morning have to do with any of this stuff? You, you, might, you might start thinking about the gender identity and, and, the, and the transgender issues, and, and that is the biggest thing on your mind. Opioid crisis, public and, and private greed in corporate structures. That might be the biggest thing that's pervading your heart. And you go, what's the relevance because you could walk in here and walk out and go, what's the relevance for my life? Because this morning, we're pressing into hope in God. And my mind goes to this, that you may conclude that this issue <laughs> is is inconsequential or in, insignificant in comparison to those other issues. Instead, my hope is that those other issues all find their life and meaning under this primary issue. And I think Peter, as he presses in this morning, he's going to turn in verse 13. And he's going to help us see this reality. I think he's aware that our reservoir of hope in this life sometimes fades or wanes. 
And so he has a desire for us to experience this radical energy that hope in God produces, both energizing our present, anchored in this expectant future. My hope is that hope in God is the most deeply relevant thing as we enter in this season. So pray with me as we, uh, as we jump into the text this morning. God, may this be the most relevant thing for our lives right now. And in the midst of whatever might be confronting us, whatever other issue might be top of mind, may we pause and reflect this morning, this Sunday morning, to, to find our anchor in our hope in you. Reveal yourself this morning as we continue to press into Peter and help us hear from you through his words. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to read verse 10 to 12, but really we're going to land in verse 13. Here's what Ryan, and I thought Ryan did a great job helping us see the gratitude we feel in our salvation. Here's where Ryan took us last week. Concerning this salvation, the gratitude we have for the salvation we experience, that salvation that comes by faith in Jesus, by putting our faith in him, the prophets who prophesied about that grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And here's where we're going to land this morning. Therefore... Therefore, based upon what has been shared, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the most relevant thing we could be talking about right now? It is hope in God. And Peter knows that an election cycle comes up every four years, and there's things pervading our lives that might lead us to run low or misplace our hope. And so his desire is to compel us to experience full hope that energizes our day-to-day and is anchored in this expectant future. And so we're going to try and tackle that in three ways. We're going to look at our foundation. We're going to try and look at our focus. And then we're going to try and come up with some action steps that might actually energize this hope, all rooted in verse 13, as Peter shifts his letter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you guys know this. When you see the word therefore, what's he doing? What's he doing, Tyler? Come on, he's telling us something about that has come prior to this. He's making a turn in his letter right now. Verse 13 all the way to middle of chapter 2, he's going to start compelling us to certain realities, but it's all based and predicated upon verse 1 to 12. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully. And this is a command. He's commanding us, set your hope. Do this emotion. Set your hope. And so therefore, what is he telling us we ought to be hoping in? 
I'm going to go back and read 3 to 5 here because he's been telling us this is what anchors your life. We get caught up in all these other things that we would go, I'm being bombarded by, by the needs and the issues of my life. And he wants to keep reminding us, this is where we anchor. This is the foundation of the hope we are to have. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And this could just become so redundant. My hope is... I need a reminder. Casey will say, hey, did you remember to take out the trash? Then I get caught up doing something else. Casey then reminds me again, hey, David, did you remember to take out the trash? I need to be reminded. Peter anchors our lives in this hope. He says God gives us a living hope beyond this life. And it's God's great mercy to us that this comes to us. It is carried to us by God's great mercy through the resurrection. There was a historical event that happens. Sunday mornings happen, not on Saturdays, though it could happen on Saturdays, but there was a significant event that shifted the trajectory of the local church gathering on a Sunday that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and through his resurrection we are granted hope eternal through faith in him and that God is guarding keeping this imperishable undefiled unfading inheritance for us and it is not guarded by my wonderful deadbolt that I have on my front door he says God is keeping it safe and there's this foundation this reservoir of hope that we dip into Day after day after day, there's this reservoir of hope that exists. He says later in the book, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. How do we often hear that? It often feels like I have to have this rational five-point essay about the hope that I'm supposed to tell people about. Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason for your hope. Instead, and we're going to unpack this later, what it seems is, he's saying, do you experience this hope of what it means to not get caught up in all those other things that seem pressing, but instead are anchored in the most relevant truth beyond this life? There is hope in God. Share about that reason for your hope. Not this five-point essay, but instead... Those ideas that are the foundation of our hope on this life. But when I hear the word hope, what do you hear? How does that idea usually get interpreted? And so we want to just take a look at the focus of our hope. Because he says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that is and will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is hope? Jenna, you got some ideas? What is our everyday hope? Josh, how would you define hope? Dennis, you got any ideas? What's hope? 
a desire for something good in the future. Does that feel like hope? A thing in the future that we desire, right? Does that feel like hope? As I, as I go through life and I'm hoping for things, what is that? It's, it's, it's this desire for something good in the future. And, and we'll often throw on the ideas, well, I wish for or I dreamed about, right? So lately, and don't judge me here, I bought my son an Xbox for his birthday. Is that okay? Is this allowed? So I bought Hudson an Xbox for his birthday. We did. And then we went to St. Vinny's and we just picked up a game called Epic Mickey 2. Epic Mickey was so good, they just needed another Epic Mickey. And so we bought Epic Mickey 2. And so now a consistent, a consistent phrase in our home right now is, hey, I, I, when is dad getting home so we can play Epic Mickey? I hope dad gets home soon so we can play Epic Mickey. There's this hope that is anchored for, for Hudson in a desire for something good in the future. January 7th, Eden Hope is going to be entering the world, uh, or January 4th, 5th, and 6th, depending on when we get induced. Is that right? There's a thing in the future we desire, and my parents and Casey's parents are going to come and visit during that time around January 7th. And so we hope, we, we, we wish for, we hope for safe travels for our family so they arrive here on time. What am I hoping in? I'm hoping in some of the airline policies, COVID, continued, continued uh, understanding of safety for them. I'm hoping for things. But what's the challenge in that kind of hope? Both in Hudson hoping for me to arrive home on time, or even for our parents to come and visit January 7th. What's the challenge? The uncertainty. You know, I may get home in time to play Epic Mickey, but there's also a chance Hudson's going to sleep before I even get home. How strong is that hope of his? It's predicated on the conviction that I'm able to deliver something. As we think of the thing we desire in the future, there is a certain stability in airline travel, but there's other uncertainty in the circumstances that might prevent our desire from being accomplished. The uncertainty of our everyday hope. Now when Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace, what is he describing? And hear me say, Brandon, you are doing a great job. We love you, man. I love, can I say this? Is this okay? I love crying babies. Is that okay? You might be like, David, you're about to get something here soon where I might be elbowing Casey to go get our crying baby in a little bit. I love it. It shows life, right? You know what doesn't cry? A corpse. <laughs> crying shows life, and I love life. So what's hope? The uncertainty we feel? No. He's saying this hope in the grace of the revelation of Jesus Christ, there is a certainty and a confidence that you can anchor your life to. What is the most relevant thing for our lives in the midst of turbulent circumstances? A hope that we anchor our lives in. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully where? 
Where is your hope set fully? Where are you anchoring this desire on the grace that will be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ? That we believe there is a guy named Jesus who came once and he will come again. And we are setting our hope on the grace to be revealed then. There is a foundation Peter has given us for 12 verses. And there is a focus of our hope. Because I don't know where you might be coming from in anticipation of this election and the most pressing issue for you. Peter says, where's the focus of our hope? And we anchor it there. And then he gives us two suggestions. Because here's the challenge. He says, if that's your focus, if that's where your hope is, is hope an action of the body or an experience of the soul? Is hope an action of the body or an experience of the soul? Is hope something you just do? Or is hope actually this deep emotional experience of the soul? Here would be the challenge. Set your hope as a command. If he says, do this, and he's asking you to do an emotion... He understands that sometimes that reservoir of our hope begins to be diminished or replaced. So he's going to give us two actions to energize this hope in our life. Here's what he says. He's going to give us two actions. He didn't just leave our hope there. He's going to give us two ideas to energize that hope. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So therefore, based upon verse 3 to 12, hope. Experience this deep experience of the soul. How? Because you ever had someone just tell you to, ah, just, just choose to be happy? You ever had someone just tell you to do an emotion? Ah, just choose to be happy. What do you tell that person? I'm going to slap you. Right? Just choose to be happy. What do, you, what do you tell someone battling or wrestling with anxiety or depression? I just choose to be happy. To do this emotion, I think, falls flat. I think that's such, a, such a, an empty phrase. Just choose that. Instead, what we often advocate for is choose the object that you believe will provide lasting happiness. So in this, set your hope fully. Just do that could leave us feeling like, man, I, I feel overwhelmed at the ability to actually experience the hope that you're describing, Peter. But it doesn't leave us there. He gives us two actions for our hope. He says this, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Are you English people out there? Any English nerds? I know Eric Duncan, our resident English nerd back there. So set your hope fully is an imperative verb. It's a command. And then he hangs these two participles, these two things that are helping us understand the verb, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. He's telling us how to actually accomplish this hope. And it feels like he's coming at it from two different ends. Because what do you see in those two phrases? Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. What do you see? He's doing two different things. One feels more action-oriented. One feels more responsive, protective, defensive. 
Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And so what does he mean by preparing your minds for action? And I, and I do want a response. Has anyone ever heard, gird up the loins? Anybody ever heard that phrase, gird up your loins? Steve Pulley, I'm expecting you to be raising your hand, but you, you are currently not. Anyone ever heard, gird up your loins? Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Braxton, thank you. Gird up your loins. In our, in our society, it's not a typical, it's not a typical vocabulary. And, and, and hear me say, I do think of you guys from time to time. I thought about inviting one of us up and cloaking you in one of these robes. I decided otherwise. But girding up your loins, can you picture what that would be? He's saying, prepare your minds for action. Literally translated, gird up your loins. So if you can imagine, not often in our society, people walking around with long flowing robes. But when needed, if they needed to run and you had a long robe on, what might you do? You might gird a little bit, right? You would gird up the loins of that robe and you would tuck that tunic, that robe, into your belt so you actually have some mobility with your knees so you could run. In Exodus 12, 11, we see God telling the Israelites to be prepared to gird up their loins because something radical was about to happen and they were about to be uh, deployed from slavery. So they're eating Passover how? With this mentality of girding up their loins. So in this manner you shall eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So there's this sense of being ready, being prepared for action, being planned. People don't eat with sandals in their house, right? Take off your shoes. And yet he's telling them, be prepared, gird up your loins. What he's telling us, you want to anchor your life in hope? Engage your mind with truth. David, I don't, I don't feel like this is relevant for my life, David. Do you understand all the litany of other things that are pressing in on my life, David? Peter's saying engage our minds with truth and let that anchor our lives. Nothing more relevant. And then he says, the other action step, being sober-minded. What's the opposite of being sober? You don't need to answer this out loud in your head. Inebriated, right? What's the opposite of being sober? Where you're numbing and you're escaping from the environment around you. Pick your drug of choice. What is he challenging us with? To keep sober in spirit. I think one side is being active. This side he's saying, what's your tendency and form of escape? How do you try and escape from this life temporarily? How do you try and not spend any time thinking about hope, but instead are just trying to numb and escape his challenge to us? Be sober-minded. You want to set your hope fully? Here's my two encouragement for you, Peter says, to prepare your minds and be sober-minded. So, so what does that actually look like? If we tried to experience that a little bit more fully, what might that look like? I'm going to give three encouragements on what it might look like to prepare our minds. And I don't think any of these are new. And yet, this is the encouragement for how we continue to anchor our hope. Planned prayer. 
setting our minds on truth, planned prayer. So we went to the Great Wolf Lodge recently. Those are my three little babies, Mari, Dari, and Hudson. And, uh, and, and we went to the Great Wolf Lodge, and it was October 13th, and so on October 14th, we said, hey, why don't we wake up this morning and, you know, we don't got anything to do. Why don't we just head to the Great Wolf Lodge for three days? Let's see if we can book a reservation. And, well, it's Casey's birthday. Come, I mean, that's like in a couple days too. So, you know, maybe we should maybe do, you know, it's October 13th. Maybe we leave this afternoon, right? Get gas. Do we do that? No, we don't do that. Some of you guys were thinking, man, David, that sounded very unplanned at the moment. What did we do? Did we wake up one day and say, oh, you know, I think I'm going to go on vacation today. What do we do? We plan for that vacation, right? We're, we're, not, we're not just wondering, huh, what should we do? Because if your tendency is anything like mine, if I don't plan something active for us to do, I just end up sitting there watching TV, dinging around. But planning, I think the same is true in our spiritual life. He's saying, prepare your minds for action. What does it mean to plan prayer to set a time and place and space for us to actively engage this hope that we want to anchor our lives in and see that permeate the way we live. We actively engage this this planned prayer time. Second, nothing new here, nothing novel. You're like, David, yep, heard it, know it. Intentional time to read the text. If you don't have a reading plan, <laughs> we're kind of in this book called 1 Peter right now. My encouragement, read 1 Peter and read it again. That we continue to anchor our lives in what we believe to be the truth of who God is. And then where I think these two collide, here'd be my encouragement. How do we prepare our minds for action? We pursue biblical community. If you're not in a life group yet, here would be my encouragement. Jump into a life group where we want to have time for planned prayer and intentional prayer for those people in that intimate setting, where we are intentionally discussing the text and anchoring our lives in truth, and we are trying to pursue a biblical sense of community in a more intimate setting. Because here's, here's an illustration that a buddy of mine, Keith Gove, shared with me. He said, David... It often feels like it's this, thing, this distinction between a dinner party and a cocktail party. You ever gone to a cocktail party? You're like, what's a cocktail party? Great question. You know, it's where you like just schmooze people, right? We got to talk about whatever the latest current event is. And I just got to kind of manage my way through the room and shake hands and kiss babies. And yeah, we, you know, avoid hot topics. Like don't, don't talk about that stuff, right? Don't talk about whatever's going on because we're just here. We're just here for a good time. Don't get too deep on me. Just stay on the shallow end. Versus what? A dinner party. What happens in a dinner party? Are there any topics that are off, off, uh, off bounds or out of bounds? Talk about religion, politics, talk about your weight. I mean, talk, you know, whatever, whatever you want to talk about. 
It's all, it's all on the table. Why? Because who usually is sitting around that dinner table party? These are usually your closest friends, the most intimate relationships in your life. So when we talk about preparing our minds for action, we are trying to link up, not in a cocktail party where I just kind of shake hands and kiss babies. Josh, probably some of the events you go to from time to time, you just got to ding around at these cocktail parties. But what we hope life groups are is that more intimate setting where we're actually sharing life. And even during this unique time in our circumstance, now more than ever we feel the need to have this pursuit of biblical community. What are the barriers to that? I feel like there's a few. I feel like as we go through this life, there's some barriers from us experiencing this. What's the language we say? David, don't you know my schedule? David, just look at my schedule. I am slammed. David, I don't have any time in my life. David, I, I get what you're saying, but, but David, come on, realistically, I have no time to do these things you're actually asking of me. Probably have someone else write this stuff, huh? <laughs> I'm busy. My family, my family time, man, we are running and gunning from whatever family event. I mean, I'm slammed. You look at my schedule, it is crazy. How about this side? We're just going to add one more for good measure here. I'm busy, David. You know my work schedule? <laughs> I'm inundated with phone call after phone call. I just get to the end of my day, I'm done. <laughs> Preparing my mind for action, there are so many barriers to what that could look like. And you could look at those three, and I hope, I hope you hear these three. Are those positive things? Those are positive things, right? Those are good things in our life. And yet what is often happens with good things is they prevent sometimes missing out. And here's one more for me. I just go, do I often think there's like some kind of magical spiritual bullet? Do I just think, man, if I just, if I just do this one thing, if I just do this one thing, then, then I'm going to have this deep, anchored, energizing hope. If I just do this one spiritual thing. Instead, he challenges us, prepare your minds for action. And then he challenges us, be sober-minded. And I want to give four ideas here very quickly on being sober-minded. Because it's avoiding the things that we escape to. Because what is that? I go, money, sex, and power feel like the big three in life that we just run to and we escape to. That we try and numb our minds with one of these three things or, man, we just start thinking about the lake cabin. We just start dreaming about a life of ease. Man, I, I, if I just want to escape from this, I just want just to tune out for a second. Or, then I just started putting a list together of all the things in my mind. Fishing, and collecting stamps 
and technology. Does anybody still collect stamps? I love, oh man, I used to have a little collection of stamps. Technology and CrossFit. Aren't we like the CrossFit capital of the country? Is Madison, Wisconsin? And gardening and whatever. What is that thing that we just try and numb our mind to and escape to rather than anchoring our life in this hope? Feels like there's four barriers to me that prevent us from stepping into this. Why would we escape? Is we just have a trivial view of God. He's just not all that fascinating. He's just not all that exciting. I just have a small view of who this God is. Why, why would I spend my time preparing my mind for action or fighting it against being sober-minded? Why would I do that? I, a barrier feels like we just have a trivial view of God. Or a sense of apathy. They know, I've been doing this Christian journey for a long time. Nothing's changed in my life. You could argue, maybe things have gotten more challenging. And so now I'm just at this point, what would prevent me from, or, or pursue, help me want to be sober-minded in, in the growth of my hope? That barrier just feels like apathy. I, I've, I've been doing this thing long enough and nothing's changed. Peter says, be sober-minded. Another barrier that it feels like prevents us from being sober-minded, it was a shift that caused us to say, why should we be back on Sunday morning gatherings and why should we be re-engaging our ministries? Because it feels like isolation is a barrier for us being more sober-minded, more engaged in our thinking. And then one last barrier that feels to me like it comes up. <laughs> Just look around and I go, where are we getting our news from? What are those influences in my life? Is my news feed coming more from Fox and MSNBC and CNN? Or is it more from the, the biblical worldview, from the text? Where am I saturating my thinking in? Hear me say, I am scrolling the newsfeed like crazy right now. It is wild to me. The diversity of opinions. What is the barrier for being sober-minded and fighting against this overwhelming tide that says, David, you should be hoping in all these other things. What is the most relevant thing for our life? <laughs> Hope in God. So here's my four takeaways this morning, and it was a marathon. I am sorry for you guys. I feel, feel a little bit for you guys. It was a marathon, wasn't it? It's a little bit of a marathon today, wasn't it, Josh? Four takeaways. We want to be a community. Hillcrest wants to be a community. Engaging our minds. Thinking. Thinking long-term. Today tomorrow to the end. We want to think, think beyond. But also recognize we want to be sober-minded. We want to recognize that we're vulnerable and have a more clarity on where we specifically might be vulnerable to losing hope. Where might that be in our life?
and be reminded (laughs) the pursuit of a dinner party, not a cocktail party, that we actually want to let people into our life to help prepare us for action and challenge us to be sober-minded, believing that there's nothing better than anchoring our life in this hope in God. And if all these ideas sound familiar, here's my challenge to you this week. With whom might you actually share about this living hope? If you go, David, I, I got as much hope as I could need right now. David, I've heard these ideas before. With whom in your life do you believe needs to hear about living hope? Believing that hope overflows from our life into the lives of those around us. So pray with me. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our life. Help us experience a little bit more fully who you are. Help us prepare our minds for action. Help us live by being sober-minded, always thinking of the grace that is to come. For your glory we pray. Amen.